trick was almost like a drug addiction, right? You're addicted to the way that they make you feel. And the line, um, what do you do when you realize you're an addict, ripped away from the needle inside your veins? I spent my whole life trying to break through the haze, but to learn is to change. And it's so true that when you have an addiction, like you can walk away, but you're still kind of always an addict. It's, it's always there. And we've all walked away from the church and you might not crave it anymore, but it is still there. And when you see that needle, that is something that triggers you. And welcome to Not So Peter Priesthood Podcast. This is your host, Jake Taylor. Um, I am reachable at, uh, at Not So Peter Priesthood at gmail.com. You can send your stories, your uh, gripes, your hate mails, your love letters, whatever you feel like sending to me. Um, Moments with Mormons, that's the thing I'm still doing. Um, and also, you can reach me at Not So Peter Priesthood on uh, Instagram. That's probably the easiest way to get a hold of me. Um, like the most. If you want like a really quick response and you're, it's an emergency. I mean, hopefully it's not an emergency and you're reaching out to me because I don't know why the fuck you would do that, but whatever. All right. So, um, I don't have anything else to say, so I'm going to go ahead and bring our special guest onto the show. Um, this is Irene. Hello, Irene. Hi, Jake. How are you doing? Good. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing really good. I, I have my wine. I have my... Blank. I'm all cozy. I'm I'm ready for this. <laughs> You're more prepared than I am because I don't have wine. So, <laughs> but it's fine. What do you, what kind of wine are you drinking? Um, this is a Riesling. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, kind of sweet. Very springy, sweet. summery. Yes, I love I love me a white wine for. Today. It's been so rainy where I'm at, and today the sun is shining, and yeah, it feels like it feels like spring. So it's great. Perfect. <laughs> Well, I'm glad to have you on the show. This is really exciting. Um, so, listeners, Irene is a musician, an artist, um, and she is releasing an album on April 12th. And I'm going to let her kind of tell her story. And I know that's just kind of like, woo, letting you go free, but um, we'll just kind of... We'll, yeah. we'll piece through it. It'll be great. Yeah. yeah. It'll yeah. be good. So... You can go ahead and start wherever you want to start, and we can all ask questions or interject when I want to or can or whatever. Yeah. Or I can just shut the fuck up and it'll be fine. <laughs> like, I know. I love it. Love it. <laughs> um, so, so for it's so weird because on this podcast, most people listening are ex Mormon, right? Right. In all of my shows and my concerts and wherever I'm performing, I always have to explain things differently like i'll just say i grew up in a cult because if you just Uh start out with mormon people don't know but i can use terms here Mm -hmm. that most people at my shows because i live in like chicago area right so there's not mormons so yeah i'm gonna have to like reevaluate my story and tell it with mormon (laughs) terms um anyways so 
Irene was my temple name. Uh, and, but it's the name that I go by in my music because I guess I'm kind of jumping ahead, but I figured that when I started writing music, I was still very broken and music was a healing process for me um, to deal with what we all went through. But Irene had really become this almost second complex in my mind. And I almost treated her as just this like second character, even when I was Mormon, she was my holy self, like on my mission, like anytime I needed to be super obedient, like, oh, like Irene, you can do this. Um, and so whenever I left, I completely pushed the name aside and had nothing to do with it until short story. I was taking pole dancing classes and somebody asked me what my stripper name was. And I was like, Oh, it's, it's Irene. Like, it's just <laughs> out of me. And, and from there, Irene was just reborn. Right. I was like, Whoa, like I haven't thought about this in a while. Let's unpack this. Who is Irene? And where was she born? You know, she was born in this patriarchal society and in chains. And I thought, how beautiful if I can take her and free her through this music that I'm writing and tell her story. And so that is why I'm Irene and everywhere I go and I perform, my fans and everybody know me as Irene. And, and it's really amazing. It's the most empowering thing ever to take this name that was literally supposed to be my bitch name that my husband would call me forth, you know? Yeah. <laughs> in afterlife. And, and now she is this symbol of empowerment that tells her story and, and she gets to write her own story. And it's just like, I get chills just even yeah, thinking, thinking about. I'm getting chills like, right now too. So, so. <laughs> yeah. And one of the beautiful thing is like, it's not me. Like, Performing under the name Irene for me is performing for any woman who received a name, any any woman or man that is still not empowered, like they can become empowered. And so it's just so beautiful to me that the symbolism behind it and non-Mormons, you know, usually don't get it. And when I stand in front of people and I say, oh, I am Irene, I was born into a cult. And at 19, I went through a ceremony and received a secret name that was supposed to be my password into heaven, people's jaws just drop to the floor. Like, yeah. they can't even wow. imagine. They're like, oh, my God. <laughs> this is insane. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. It's so crazy. Um, It's awesome that you've taken something that was, yeah, like you said, meant to control and kind of and give you and take away your power of, like, and just be, like, submissive to your husband and that's what it symbolized and then now you're using it to empower yourself and other people it's it's beautiful i love it yeah yeah so so that's who irene is and i refer to myself as irene and i will on this whole podcast but i personally i guess my story begins in that i grew up in in a branch in illinois very very small um very removed from anything Mormon, Utah. I mean, Utah was kind of viewed as this holy land, right? But yeah. <laughs> my summer vacations were always spent in Nauvoo and learning oh. everything about Joseph and like uh, every family vacation. That That's all it was. So, so just yeah. to, sorry, um, I went to Nauvoo. I actually got my endowments out at Nauvoo. <laughs> yeah. 
that's crazy wild um yeah sorry but like i my whole thing like we took a whole family trip there we were taking a family trip there anyway and i was so surprised at how small nabu is because like you have this idea in your brain that it's like this glorious glorious historical monuments and all that stuff and it's like kind of run down and like the temple's really pretty i guess but like the um i almost didn't do it because i didn't i wanted to have like family there and then my grandma said that's really stupid you should go do it that's a once in a lifetime opportunity or whatever so i ended up doing it at nabu but yeah that's, that's crazy that you did it there so yeah anyway. well, and what's also really interesting about Nauvoo is at the time when you're a Mormon and you go there, you see all the EFY groups and all the, and like, you're just like, this is so amazing. And this is such a spiritual place. Everybody would, must just love coming here. If you talk to the locals, because I had some friends that lived on like the outer um, city areas, they hate the Mormons. They oh, absolutely right. hate it. Like, and <laughs> there might be like PR between the Mormons and like how they make the town better and this, but the locals, the locals just want to go to a bar and have a beer and like be a normal town on the Mississippi river. <laughs> and then you have all these EFY groups coming in and oh, oh my God. They, yeah. yeah. That's, that's another story, but <laughs> it's funny seeing the outside perspective of Nauvoo from yeah, locals. I have always wondered like, what people think about like living there like that aren't like that don't have any history with mormons or anything like i've always like do people live there that aren't mormon like yeah i don't know yeah. i just no totally and i feel like they kind of, they kind of just view the mormons as like weird pets that you don't want to have like, <laughs> like god damn it grandma like i did not want this hermit crab for like christmas but finally take care of it like that's kind of how they view the Mormons. Like, oh my God, like, <laughs> yes, fine, we'll like, we'll let you be here, but oh my God. <laughs> <Fine. laughs> anyway. So, but that was so that was me in like the Midwest, and and I wasn't even in in a ward. I was in a branch, yeah. and so it was it was even more cult like, right? Because there was there was no one, and I was the only person in my grade. There was one other person, but they were kind of inactive. Um. And, and, like, I had this shouldered burden of, like, not only was I called to be chosen to be a Mormon, but I was also chosen to be in this place where there were no Mormons, and I was supposed to represent all of it. And and I took that quite seriously um, in my no youth. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I was... I was very outgoing, and so I was always, you know, captain of the soccer team, drum major for the band, class president, like, anything and everything for, like, uh, being involved, but I was also that weirdo that, like, in the third grade, I had to give my teacher a Book of Mormon when she asked if I was allowed to say the Pledge of Allegiance, <laughs> <laughs> or, like, I remember crying in the fifth grade um, to a girl who was trying to talk to me in the library and I was crying, telling her about how I had just learned that um, something about Martin Harris and the pages that were lost. And it's, this is referenced in Isaiah and like fifth grade, like I am 11 years old and I'm oh. crying, telling this girl that I feel so spiritual because I mean, just weird stuff. And all throughout middle school and high school it was it was so weird i had to balance being 
popular enough in school to be involved in all these activities and but also when I got anyone alone I was like but can I tell you about Joseph Smith (laughs) 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 yeah and Uh, and uh, even as president of seminary um the the youth conferences I was the co-leader and planned all the youth conferences girls camp anything with a leadership position like like I was your gold star Mormon, I, I guess, Molly Mormon. So yeah. <laughs> uh, went to BYU, uh, was there for a year, um, uh, played rugby there. It was fun. Oh, nice. I was there. And then I went on my mission to Tegucigalpa, Honduras. Oh, okay. So going back to, sorry, to BYU, how was that transitioning from being like in a small town of like, and you're the only Mormon, and then you go to, like, where there's all Mormons. I hated it. <laughs> because being Mormon was my identity in my small town. Like, yeah. everybody just knew me as... The Mormon girl. The Mormon girl. Mm-hmm. That was my whole world, and I was so proud of it. And so when I went to BYU, everybody was the same as me. Uh-huh. And I no longer had an identity. And so I went total. I mean, I like I rolled in and like I joined the rugby team. I had a motorcycle and I just kind of went the whole, oh, if like Mormon girls at BYU are, are they're so pretty. Right. And like their hair is perfect and they all wear the same clothes and they're all so Happy. Molly Mormon. Right. And so I kind of was like, well, if that's what all the girls are here I'm going to be, like, as butch as possible, basically. Yes. <laughs> like, I, I had people ask me if I was a lesbian. And I'd be so offended at the time. Um, now I'm not. I mean, I'm I'm very bisexual now. But uh, at the time, I was so offended. And, right. yeah. So I kind of took on this new identity trying to wrestle who I was at BYU and not really coming up with anything. Uh, but I also thought, well everyone here is Mormon, then like, I still need to be the best. Like I need to be, I don't know. I, I took all the religious classes. Like everyone else was taking fun classes. I was in book of Mormon one, book of Mormon two, Jesus Christ and the everlasting gospel, Joseph Smith history. Like my English class, I was going to take like Bible history. And I took Arabic and Judaism and anything to like understand how I could be like the top rank spiritual. I I was a, I was a different breed. <laughs> so you wanted to. It sounds like you were compensating in. Um, you wanted to be different, but you also and then you also wanted to even exceed more spiritually than other. Like you wanted to stand out. Like you were even yeah. more spiritually more knowledgeable. Yeah. And um, then even though because now you had. A different playing field yeah well that's it right i was in the big leagues yeah. and so going from my small town to the big leagues was like all right like how do you play this game now i'm very competitive still love sports and and play them so for me i guess creating an identity that made me different and yet at the same time in the background can we swear on this show oh yeah, yeah. oh 
Like, all right, motherfuckers, like, I'm going to be, like, <laughs> I'm going to be better than you, and I'm going to know more than you. I will have more Book of Mormon memorized. I will have more, you know, stuff for my talks, for anything. I was, I was very competitive, is probably the <laughs> Sounds um, very <laughs> So, uh, and then from there, at 19, I went to Honduras, mm-hmm. and at the time... Uh, Tegus was like the murder capital of the world. I mean, it was like dangerous stuff. And I was so brainwashed, so naive, so young. And did you go at 19? You were one of the okay, that's yeah. still weird to me because like, I know, right? I wasn't 21, <laughs> I was 19. They had made that, they had made that switch. Uh, and I went there. That's like something to unpack for me. And I don't really address it on this album. It's on my next album that I'm trying not to talk about in this podcast because it's like still in the studio for next year. Okay. But but for me, I went to Honduras literally almost like dreaming of my death. Like – if I sacrificed everything and paid the price there, I would be the whole, like the final competition, right? Yeah. I'd be as good as Joseph Smith himself if I gave my life to the cause. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and I was in the MTC, and the last week before I left, my mother sent me a letter. And my mother told me, like Esther, if you perish, you perish. And and I'll be proud of you. What? And and so with that blessing, right? She meant it as this a great thing. Encouragement. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you look at that now, and that's that's so fucked up. That's so fucked up. Like though, I just keep thinking of like a parent telling their child, like, you know, if you die, you die. It's you know, that's what it feels like. To I'm me. proud like, of you. I'm proud of you. It will be hard for me, but I'll see you in the celestial kingdom, and I know that you've given your all. Such honor to, you know, like to have given birth to somebody who died for the cause of Jesus and Joseph Smith. (laughs) Yeah, and and that's where things really changed for me. I mean, I was uber competitive and Mormon my whole life, but at that point, it was my mother has told me that if I die, she'll be proud of me. And so I went into my mission in Honduras, balls to the fucking wall. Like, I was not just, I mean, like, if there was a dangerous place to go that, like, we weren't supposed to go as sisters, I was there. Because God was going to protect me. And if I got shot or raped, like, then I'm just proving my faithfulness. Right? Like, it was such a dangerous mentality. The things that I did and the things that I saw that most missionaries will see, right? I mean, we're all so naive when we're there, yeah. right? I don't know. Where did you serve your mission? Uh, Tampa. So okay. Great. Yeah. Uh, you know, whatever. But it had, you know, dangerous areas. But like, I'm, I'm sure, yeah. Everywhere you go, right? Um, but for me, like, I mean, you know, being chased by like men with knives or like being shouted in the street that they would rape me and cut 
cut me into a million pieces and leave me in the ditch. Like, I mean, oh. I just wasn't even phased. I was just like, okay. I would like talk back in Spanish. Like, really? I'd be like, I'd be like, oh, like, cuidadito, hombre. Like, be careful because, like, the Lord is protecting me. Like, they'd be oh. drunk and I'd be like shouting things back or I'd be shouting scriptures back. Oh, wow. um, and, like exact obedience, right? I would drive myself to the point of just um, in, in Spanish, it would be like fle- flechona, like you were just like an arrow, you were straight. And wow. I was, I don't know, my time in Honduras, there are beautiful memories, but also I just can't even believe what I did or that I'm alive. Yeah. Quite honestly, I cannot <laughs> sounds, believe I'm here. Sounds reckless and um, just like, oh man, putting yourself in dangerous situations for your faith, like just to kind of, was it to prove something or were you like, what was, was there, was that was, a thought in your mind where you're trying to prove something or was it like because you had the words for your mom thinking behind you or was it like, a little bit of everything, but mostly, like, I just, I truly, I mean, I'm, I was very competitive, but truly, I, I was thinking that I was showing God how much I loved him, that I was willing to go to the darkest places to reach his children. Um, and I would, I mean, even, like, my pee days, like, I would cut my pee days short because I knew that there was a family that like didn't have food and I would make food for them at like my whole pee day. And I would just bring it to the family and like make them dinner that night. Um, like pancakes with bananas shoved in them or whatever. And uh, I like, you're not supposed to spend any of your own personal money down there. Right. But like, I mean, I, I broke that rule frequently. Like, um, I had saved up money before I left working in uh, construction. Uh, I lived in a house of returned missionary boys. I was the only girl. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah. Anyways, but I had saved up enough money. And, like, there there was a woman who, like, her house was destroyed. And before I left the area, I told her she could never tell a soul. But I gave her, like, enough limpiras that she could rebuild her house. Wow. And... Which it wasn't much in U.S. money, but for her to repair her roof was everything for her. Like like a couple hundred dollars was yeah. everything. Um, I don't know. Like I I gave my heart and soul to the people, but at the same time, I was always so guilty and so shameful because even though I was doing everything I possibly could, it was never enough. Right? It was a commandment: be perfect, mm-hmm. even as Jesus Christ. Like. And and I took that to heart so much and then thought if I could beat myself up enough that maybe, like, then I would understand the atonement more. Like, the more I suffered, the more I understood Christ. And I would just purposely make myself feel like a piece of shit all the time. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Like, there's... Um... Because I look back on my time as a Mormon, it was just all this, like, you put a lot of stuff on yourself, like guilt, like, 
there's the guilt and there's the shame, you know, of shame of whatever you do. Like if you ever stray, you know, kind of thing. But it's also just like, I think that like, of just working yourself to the bone and like trying so hard to be like Christ, because that's always in your mind. It's always, you filter, you have to filter everything with that and be like, I gotta be perfect, you know? And so every decision is made with that in mind. And that's, um, I just think about that now it's like a little more liberating because I'm just like, I don't have to do that. I don't have to strive for that. I just have to be, my only competition is myself really. That's where I'm at. I don't know. So much more healthy, right? Yeah. Like even as a child, I mean, so that was like me on steroids on my mission. Right. I mean, I had like fungus growing in my knees because I would be on the floor, like praying so much. And like, (laughs) <laughs> I was disgusting. You would not even recognize me. But anyway, that's a whole other point. Like I was, I was mission ugly. Like I was so ugly on my mission. But even as a child, I was. So I was sexually abused by a priesthood holder when I was. It was before I was eight because when I was baptized, he was in the circle that confirmed the the Holy Ghost upon me. And I didn't know if I actually got the Holy Ghost because I knew that he was in the circle and he wasn't worthy. But I I hadn't told anyone because he was this priesthood holder and he was, you know, I mean, what was I going to say at like seven years old? So anyways, even, even when like it finally got found out what he was doing to all these little girls, And I had to go to court when I was older. This was like a decade later. I was a senior in high school. And I had to go to court and testify against him. And I went to my stake president. And I begged my stake president to help me find the power within myself to forgive this man and love this man. And the stake president told me, yes, I remember him, blah, blah, blah. And I truly think he wanted to repent. And, and like, we had this conversation. How fucked up is that? That, like, I'm going to court to testify against my sexual abuser, and I'm just worried about loving him. Oh. Oh, oh you, poor, in it, you poor girl. I just look back at myself, and I think, oh, my God. Oh, like, and, but I had to make myself feel the atonement. And that was the only way was to truly like, you know, love. Give him, yeah, or whatever, yeah. Like first time I broke the law of chastity, like I think I was thirteen, like some guy like touched my boob. I, (laughs) I was wrecked. Like I literally would go out and lie in the rain and pray that I got pneumonia so that I would be punished enough for what I did. Or later when I was in high school, um. Like, when I had, like, thought that I sinned, like, I would run sprints around the track until I would puke. Or I would beat, I would punch walls till my knuckles were bleeding. Like, anything to, I was just psychologically in on a different playing field. Like. That sounds like it. Oh, my God. That, up. <laughs> yeah. So, for some reason, that makes me think of, oh, what is that? It's a Catholic thing where they with themselves with the cat of nine tails have you oh yeah yeah self self-flagellation i think that's what's called and they it's supposed to it's basically the same concept of just like punishing yourself for like 
and it's usually like monks, I think, or something. Anyway, um, to do it, and they um, they do it when they have like a, a bad thought, or they do it what, to punish themselves for anything that they any sins that they might do. Yeah. And um, you took it whole other level, you know. And, and no one even told me to. And that's the thing is that for a while when I was leaving, because I don't, uh, I'm estranged from my family. We don't talk, but for a while they'd be like. But we don't preach that and we just preach love and blah, blah, blah. And how could you feel that way? And that was you and that wasn't the church and this whole gaslighting thing, right? Because. No, like I was always very attentive in talks or Sunday school or scripture, like I took it so, so seriously. And that was just me trying to be worthy. And a child doesn't think of that on their own. No, that is not something that is an instinct that we have. That is something that is taught for sure. And I guess I should just wrap that up because I want to talk about my music. But but (laughs) that's who I was right as a child and as a teenager and in in Honduras. Um, Well, just real quick before we move on from that, I wanted to. with the whole thing with your abuser, um, the fact that the stake president um, kind of took his side and said, like, he's he's trying to repent, um, that was also fucked up to me. Like, I and the thing is, that's not abnormal. That's a typical response. They usually will protect the priesthood holder over the the child or the woman that got abused or the, you know, or. Um, so that's anyway that I just wanted to point that out that that's I'm I'm sorry that you went through that that's ugh. but it also makes me think that that's part of the reason why you it, that seems like a catalyst to like why you went so I got to be super righteous I got to do all these things to make myself even yeah, I better. was I was obsessed with this idea. I just remembered this talking to you. You were making this motion with your hands and it made me remember that I was obsessed with this idea that there's this spectrum, right? There's this spectrum of evil and good and that we were told Christ descended below all things. He literally went to the lowest end of said spectrum, if you're imagining a line. Mm -hmm. And because he was able to stretch himself to that point on that end of the spectrum, that is why he was able to fully understand the other side of the spectrum of love, right? That, Mm -hmm. and, and that we could never stretch ourselves that far, but we could try. And so by descending lower and lower and lower, if I could get as close as I could to descending below all things, I would then understand what it would mean to be on the exact opposite end of the spectrum and be farther than anybody else in that regard. I remember being obsessed with that idea um, as a teenager. And this was something I came up with by myself, I, I guess. I mean... I don't really remember when it came about, but, and that's a line actually in my next album, I'll just give that tidbit away, is the lyric is, 
I used to think love and hate were separate things, but put the circle in place. It turns out they're the same. Just change your perspective and flip your direction. Because I was imagining, I used to think it was this line, right? This circle. Mm -hmm. But you take that line and you just kind of connect the ends and it becomes this circle. And the love that you felt for Mormonism, for the community, for everything can be so easily just switched, right? People say, why can't you leave the church alone? Why can't you? And it's this same idea that we were pushed to this end of this spectrum. And it can flip in an instant and then you're on the other side. It's like a circle. And yeah. I don't know. That's my just psychology brain trying to uh, analyze. I love that. That's awesome. Um, yeah. So I guess music. I just mentioned like yeah. a, a lyrical music thing. So, mm -hmm. so this album that I have coming out is not my story that's that's album number two where i really go into what irene's personal story is right her sexual abuse her birth in the temple her sadness and anger and loss of identity and then retribution and anger and then finally peace that's all album number two <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's gonna be good though please I'm stick sorry, with it that's and, awesome. um but the first album is more of a tribute to the beautiful life that I found outside of Mormonism. Uh, we all know the reference of being on the old ship Zion, mm -hmm. that you need to stay in the boat. Because if you leave, you know, the, the waters are perilous and there's danger and you'll never make it. How could you possibly make it? You'll drown. Well, and that reminds me of, was it Elder Holland is, has that talk where... Why would you? Why would you ever leave? What would? You, what will you do? Who is? Maybe it was Elder Nelson. Where will you go? That's actually Elder. Where will you go? Oh yeah. So yeah. I knew one of them said something like that. He's like, "Where will you go?" And like that. So like basically, yeah. and then the like this idea that after outside of the church, there's nothing for you, and um, you're just gonna be like mm -hmm. with your analogy with the analogy of the ship, like tossed about the waves, and you know, yeah. like left to the devil's devices basically is what they make you think i used that talk so many times oh awesome um the where will you go mm -hmm. i can't remember how many times on my mission i used that talk and i would bring people to tears and i would cry with them and by the end of it they would say hermana like i have felt the spirit so strongly and you're right like i will i will stay like how could i leave I use that talk to manipulate so many people. It's very personal for me because I used it. And making this album and making this the focus of my album is almost my way of making a wrong a right. Um, I want people to know that if you are thinking of leaving the ship, that you, you're not going to drown. And you're not going to die. And you're not even, for a while, you might be confused and lost because any new environment and change is that way. But you're going to find yourself. You're going to find who you are. And it's going to be amazing. It's not what they tell you it's going to be. Um, and that's what this album is. Uh, 
the first track is a literal prologue of people telling Irene, you know, where will you go? And it's not safe and you'll never make it. And then there's the sound of her jumping off the ship. And then there's the first song called High Water, which is the name of the album. Um, and it goes through, sorry. So, uh, listeners, um, Irene did send me a few of the tracks, and I was, like, listening to them this morning, and I was choking up, and, like, they're incredible. So, I just wanted to let you know that that was something that, an experience, and I'm excited to hear the whole album when it's all fully finished and ready for people to listen to, but um, the lyrics are just incredible. Your voice is, like, just, there's so much emotion behind it, and just, you can tell that you're singing from your soul and from a deep place of i don't even, like the i don't you know like there's some anger in there there's also some sadness and but also some like hope that's just it's beautiful so thank you yeah. thank you that means a lot um, <laughs> i think you're the first like ex-mormon who's who's heard it all right, right? There, there oh there's not many yeah. mormons in my area that's um true. i yeah so that means a lot thank you so much because that that is the point, right? Like mm-hmm. I might get emotional right now, but I write these things not for myself. I say this all the time. I am not the exception. I am the rule. What I have gone through is is not unique. It is felt by every single person that has ever tried to leave the church. And that's what makes it so important to to talk about and to make these feelings come out in a way that somebody can blast them in their car and cry and relate with them because we're not exceptional. We're the rule of what it means to grow up in a cult and try and leave. Um, so that's beautiful to hear that from you. Yeah. Thank you. You've got me like teared up already. Like <laughs> when we were talking about uh, Elder Ballard's talk and also that, I'm just like, well, <laughs> yeah. I don't even have wine in me and I'm like getting all, Uh, (laughs) oh i love it i love it um so do you you write your own everything's you write your own lyrics and everything right or and um how long has this album been in the works so i started writing really when i left i need to i need to pause and i need to say that i'm leaving out a huge part of my story which is that um i am married to a wonderful man who has a master's degree in philosophy oh wow and he was the one that got me out um so i did want to so that was something i wanted to because when you sent me your kind of your background and everything that was it just seemed kind of like there was like this like something that skipped where it was like oh i knew that there was and i was going to ask about it but i wasn't sure if you wanted to go there but um there is uh, um everybody has kind of like a they call them like a shelf breaker moment kind of thing where it was like this is what happened this is the thing that really flipped the switch for me and i um it sounds like you had somebody that just kind of pushed you over the edge a little bit but also like you also mentioned like you were at byu or you were at college or something like you had just gotten home from your mission and then you suddenly just kind of and then i met him so it was by accident that we met i mean i was not supposed to go back to illinois but my sister was pregnant and wanted me to stay for her baby so i ended up working um where he was working and um he is 
15 years my older than me. So we had this big age gap and he uh, has a lot of life experience, right, that I didn't. I was still very young. But like I said, he had a master's degree in philosophy. And quite honestly, without the experience he had in life and that degree and that education to know how to talk to me, I never would have gotten out um, ever. I, I would have been probably married, a couple of kids, depressed on antidepressants, and like 30 years later, maybe I would have left. And still being very competitive about, you know, being the perfect wife, being the perfect mother, oh, doing all this, you know, running yourself to the yeah. case of yes, mm-hmm. yes, that would have been me. And he quite literally saved my life. And so whenever I sing the song High Water, um, I wrote that song after we had just had this, I don't want to call it a fight, but we were like, I was so torn because my family was still trying to guilt me and tell me how, you know, I mean, he was like the devil, right? Like they hated him because he was taking me from them with our conversations. But, and Uh, we were just like talking about my family and I was so, I didn't know what to do or how to even behave around my mother and father because I was always so obedient to them and respected them. And I couldn't, I don't know. I was in turmoil. And then I was studying physics because anyways, I was in physics. (laughs) I later, I later went on to um, work in engineering and aerospace because that's that was the biggest fuck you to my past I could imagine was to become an educated woman in a field where it is still pretty patriarchal, but you know, lots of men. <laughs> but once again, my competitive spirit and my nature was like, fine, if I'm going to leave, like, then I'm, I'm going to do it like with style. I guess. <laughs> but anyways, I was in physics and they were talking about the tides of the ocean and, and gravity. And, and I just, all of a sudden I, totally missed that whole physics lecture because I started thinking about relationships and how they're like the tides of the sea. And I ended up writing that song and, and that song and the title of the album is literally a tribute to what he went through to be patient enough to, to get me out. He literally, he quit his doctorate degree to study Mormonism for eight months so that he could talk on my level, right. Of he read all of the, Sunday school books from every prophet. He read the Book of Mormon twice, Doctrine and Covenants, like quit his doctorate to literally just spend his time studying Mormonism because he believed, you know, we've had these conversations. He said, you know, babe, I I didn't even know if you were going to end up leaving, but, or if you would choose me, like you could leave and you could have totally just left me and chosen a different life, but you were too, you know, bright of a person to just leave trapped in in this world like it was clear that you were meant for this greatness and you were just suffering in this system and he said and I couldn't leave you there and so anyways uh many of the songs on the album are 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 a tribute to him and and our love um fly was a song I wrote for our wedding which you haven't heard that yet um (laughs) <laughs> ballad of ballad of the wood rat is a song on there because um he and his son my my stepson lovingly call me a wood rat it's <laughs> sounds bad but that's their <laughs> name for me uh that's what i fight for is about him <laughs> yeah but uh and he plays bass on the album oh, okay so there is that connection but he is what got me out 
he quit his doctorate to study and quite literally saved my life. So, yeah. Um, so that's how I got out in, in a nutshell. And it took like a full, it was a quick turnaround once I left. Oh, this is a good tidbit. So the song Colorado, which will be, I think, track number three, which you haven't heard yet, but the track Colorado means a lot to me because I secretly flew out to Colorado from Utah to meet him. Oh, okay. And it, for him to basically give me his dissertation on, I said, I'm ready to hear the other side of the story. Like for once I'll put down my guard. Tell me why you think Joseph Smith wasn't a prophet, which now is just so, it's so easy to prove that Joseph Smith wasn't a prophet. Like, yeah, but, right. but for me at the time, <laughs> I, so I left and I flew to Colorado and I met him secretly. And I remember packing and I went to pack, you know, my shirt, my jeans, whatever. And I looked at my garments, um, which for those of you that aren't Mormon, it's your magic underwear. I looked at my garments and I picked them up and I remember looking at them and thinking, this is the moment. This is the moment where do I truly let my guard down or do I leave them here in Utah? And I put them down and grabbed because I, I guess I've always just been a rebel and I always knew I was going to leave. Whenever I got my garments, I secretly kept one thong. One. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I know I'll wear this someday. <laughs> so and I packed my like one piece of underwear that wasn't a garment. <laughs> and I, off I went to Colorado. And it was wow. in Colorado that, I mean, I was an emotional mess. But also... I tried my first cup of coffee. I tried my first sip of alcohol. I bought my first mini skirt. Like it, it was this liberating experience where I was like, Colorado was the safe place where no one knew who I was. There weren't any Mormons. It was just me able to try things for the first time. And so Colorado to me will always be this beautiful, liberating place. Um, I actually lived there for, I just moved to Idaho, but I lived in Colorado for like five years. So (laughs) I truly have a special place in my heart for, not like that, but like a special place in my heart for Colorado. But like, you know. Oh, you're going to love that song. I'm so excited for you to hear it now. (laughs) Yes. It's, uh, so the main tagline is I'm getting high in Colorado. So yes. (laughs) You will, yes. Yes, preach. Marijuana is great. Um, Uh, Yes. Although I can't technically, I'm just going to plug because if anyone from my work listens to this, marijuana is great, but I get tested because I work in aerospace, so I, I can't smoke it. But <laughs> in Colorado, I could. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, anyways, um, where was I? Oh, so that was the jump for me. And I think I had already started to become disenchanted because I saw on my mission, it was... I was a I was a perfect missionary, but I also just started to see through the system like it's run like a business, yep. and I started to almost like I don't know kind of like the Matrix, right? Like you know you like <laughs> see through all these things, and then you realize like like I started defying my leaders because 
they would say if they're not ready to accept Joseph Smith, then like you just leave them. But I had studied so much like uh, all of the prophets' words on Jesus and and like Christ that I was like, no, like why would I? I'm here to be Christ-like. Like I, I was like even <laughs> defying them because I had like you know made my way out of their box on Joseph Smith. And anyways, but I had started to become disenchanted with with all of it because I wasn't feeling the spirit anymore. It was just this business-like thing, you know, telling the woman that can't feed her children beans, like frijoles and arroz, like she couldn't even feed her kids. But no, you have to pay 10% or you're not in. Like. I don't know. So I was kind of ripe and ready at this perfect time when I was addressed with this idea that maybe it wasn't everything I thought it was. So it was it's a very traumatic story. I secretly left BYU in the middle of the night, didn't tell anyone. The bishop was kind of after me and some of my roommates were keeping an eye on me. They'd knock on my door, leave me cookies. I was they tried to assign me some different callings the week before I left because they knew that I was kind of there's something going on. And so I didn't tell anyone. Uh, I had an aunt, bless her. Um, she's not Mormon. And uh, my now husband actually called her and he said, we need to get her out. She is suffering. I, I wasn't leaving my room. I was depressed. I wasn't going to classes. I couldn't leave. I couldn't eat. I would have panic attacks anytime I left the room. And so... And I had my family constantly calling me and telling me how, like, don't you feel the darkness inside of you or the hole? And that's because you know that this is the truth. And, like, how could you do this? And, um, yeah. So I just, yeah, my aunt came in the middle of the night and I had my things all packed up and I, and I left. I just left. And the next morning I was in Arizona and I lived there for a little while, um, kind of just getting my bearings before I ended up uh, living with my now husband for a year and then we got married and, but uh, it was all very traumatic, very traumatic and like sudden thing when I left and many people were shocked. Right. Cause I had been keeping it a secret under wraps, <laughs> but like Irene's, Irene's not at BYU anymore, you know? Um, and then, it, yeah, it just blew up and people were trying to contact me. I had I deleted all social media. I changed my phone number. I um, was off of social media for at least like two years so that people couldn't contact me. And when I moved back, people would find me. They'd come knocking at my door. It was insane. And removing my records was the most beautiful thing ever, which was April 12th. We finally made it. OK, April 12th is the day the album's being released, people. Because that's the day that my freedom started. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Uh, that's beautiful that you were able to do that. Like, have, like, the the moment where you album released and it signifies your actual freedom. <laughs> yeah. I've talked about, like, I should just, any album I ever drop should just always be on April 12th. Like, so that any future fans or anyone knows, like, all right, April 12th is coming. What's Irene going to drop? What's it, yeah. what's it going to be? Because that's such a huge day for me. We call it my Freedom Day, and we celebrate it and drink champagne. And it's <laughs> awesome. Thank you, Quit Mormon. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to them. Yeah. So if anybody is thinking of leaving, um, that is a good way. The best way to do it is to go to quitmormon.org or com. 
Um, they have a lawyer that does it pro bono and they do all the legwork for you. Some I've heard that now they make you do a... You have to get a notary signed. Notary signed, yeah. When I yeah. did it, I didn't have to have a notary. You need your license. Um, yeah, there's paperwork, but... Um, totally worth it. Yeah, totally worth it. Like you said, they're lawyers and they'll like they'll do everything for you. Um, it's beautiful. And then they send you a letter and then like that letter is just gold. And the day you get it, put it in your calendar. It's your freedom day. And then do something on that day every year. It's just, oh, that's a good point. I'm going to do that. Mine's November. It's like 14th, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So. I, I truly think it's the first day of your life because I mean, most of us probably were born in the covenant, right? Mm -hmm. So the day that you get that, the first day that you live, like after that letter, is literally the first day where you get to be you. And you weren't born to somebody telling you what you had to be. It's just beautiful. I love That's it. Gorgeous. I love it. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've listened to other episodes, but I, um, a big thing of that I with my story is is just being authentic and. Mm -hmm finding yourself and being the most true to who I am as possible. And the reason some people ask me why I, you know, put my record, took my records out and um, they're like, the church hasn't been doing anything to you. This is, you've been fine. I just leave the church alone. Yeah. You know, I have, you know, a cousin that's left the church and he was like, I just don't even think about them. I don't even, my records are still in there. I just don't worry about it. And I was like, but it's the point of like, they get to, they still have that. They count you as a number. Yeah. And you're you're still there. And like I've said, you know, they can still track you and know where you are and your address gets reported and they can come knock on your door. I mean, yeah. it's, it's more of a internally, like, if it meant anything to you at all, that you were born in the covenant for you to finally have the power to say no, like no, you don't, you don't get this part of me. You don't get to have that because I make my own identity now. That's that's what it comes down to. And mm, I'm gonna plug one other lyric because, all right, it's just coming to me now. And this is also <laughs> an album number two. Like, oh, <laughs> yeah, I know. We need to we need to talk about album number one. But um, yeah. I wrote a song about identity and how. Being in the church was almost like a drug addiction, right? You're addicted to the way that they make you feel. And the line, um, what do you do when you realize you're an addict, ripped away from the needle inside your veins? I spent my whole life trying to break through the haze, but to learn is to change. And it's so true that when you have an addiction, like you can walk away, but you're still kind of always an addict. It's it's always there. And we've all walked away from the church and you might not crave it anymore, but it is still there. And when you see that needle, that is something that triggers you. And truly to learn and to truly take in what you were and where you came from, to learn is to change. And for me, that change is acknowledging and and so like physically taking your records out, right? That is that is something that is part of the change. And and it shows what you learned about yourself. And 
I think it's just so important that you remove your records. If you don't, right, it's it's like not, uh, I don't know. And everyone can make that decision for themselves. I, But for me, like that's such a beautiful symbolic way of letting yourself be freed. Yeah. Absolutely. I talk so much. I'm sorry. No, I love this. It's great. You also, you got me a little teared up there too again. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, no, it, that's it's interesting because the more I'm away from it, the, I like that that uh, analogy of it being you know addiction and an addict, and um, I I realize how much it is ingrained in me even even though I'm separated from it, you know, I've, I've created a boundary from it, but I still, it still informs a lot of my decisions. It, is, it informs a lot of who I am, but I'm still like trying to break free from that, you know, no matter how far yeah. away from it I get, it still has an impact on me. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that it's like a rewiring of yourself and a lot of that is stuff that I address again on album number two because the, the change of identity is so hard. And I just think that even outside of Mormonism, right? Mm-hmm. The world is so sick in the way that we create our identities these days in, in that like social media and everything that you identify yourself with is is almost based on this false pretense of what we've created in in this technological world around us and i just think that it's so important that once you can learn to reevaluate your identity and strip it down that's where you really can empower yourself and and that's what this is supposed to be about right not just believing mormonism but for me the music of with a message of being able to empower yourself like you you can you can leave if you need to. You can separate yourself from your family. You, you don't need them. You can be powerful on your own, and, and you will find your own loved ones and family. You can be a rock star. You can be a rocket scientist. You can, you can be married. You can be bisexual or gay. I mean, you, you could be anything you want for your identity, but... You let the Mormon world influence that for so long. Why would you leave and then let other things influence you and tell you what to be, right? Mm-hmm. We so easily fall into that trap when we leave. Yeah. We're, we're programmed to have our identity be made for us. And I feel like that happens to so many people when they leave is that you might separate yourself from that, but if you don't truly realizing, if you don't truly realize what you need to do to not let that happen to you again. That's so key. That's so important. I've had that, uh, this conversation with some friends before where, um, cause I left the church and then went into the military. So it was very high well, and the religion and then went right to a patriarchal, very, like very man run, you know, but also very much like, that's my identity. So similar. Yes. Sorry. So, um, you're good. I, um, and I've talked about that before where it's like, I went from one thing where my identity was completely, you know, Mormon 
and to being a sailor. And they that's the whole thing with the military is they strip you away of your identity and you become one of them, you know? So it's like, I never actually fully left, you know, like it just felt like I was, went from one thing to another where it was just um, kind of unhealthy of like, I didn't know who I was. And just in the last, you know, I've been out for, it was actually right after I removed my records. So, um, and I, I got out because I was like, I am done. I need to find, I need to find Jake, you know, and be, be my own person finally. So, (laughs) um, you can maybe cut this part out too, because I don't, I really don't want to just talk all about album two on this, but from what you're saying, I wrote another song called PTSD where the main tagline before the chorus is, I used to be a soldier, a soldier. I used to take orders, orders. So tell me what I came here for. Why'd you let me fight your war? And the whole song compares being in the church to being a soldier because it is so similar, right? Being a missionary, like you're a soldier for God and and, and the way that they take this and strip you of your identity and make your identity you know, the church or the army or whatever, that is so damaging. And that is the PTSD that we all face. And so mm, I, I'm literally going to the studio like next month to record that song, but I can't wait for you to hear that one because that, if you've been not just in the church, but also in the army or the Navy or whatever, like, oh, it, that's a lot to unpack. Yeah. So. <laughs> wow. But, uh, We've talked a lot about album two, so uh, do you want to <laughs> that you didn't yeah, want to? Yeah, let's yeah, let's go back to to album one. The <laughs> so a lot of the songs in between are they're just beautiful songs about how beautiful life is. Um, there's a song on there called Persephone. Um, yes, okay. That Persephone, Actually, as in the Greek goddess, are you familiar? Yes, she's oh, wait, the wait, wife wait. of Hades. The um yeah. went to, but she was taken basically because she, right? Like yeah, she was he adored her so much, and he wanted to have that, so he took her down to the underworld, and then she was so depressed and um lonely in the underworld, so he allowed her to go up, and that's basically like you know spring or summertime. She'd go during that time in the harvest and everything, and then she'd come back during the winter. Then that was when the winter was happening but uh, very yeah. heavily on the, the elements there but it's also like that's kind of the story yeah. anyway no that's <laughs> beautiful that and um, so i wrote a beautiful song called persephone that is about loving someone um a a woman that i loved who suffered from depression and loving her was like loving Persephone, right? Because when you have depression, you go into this world of darkness and you're there for a season, but then you'll come back and it's spring and summer. And I wrote this song as a tribute to all of the people that suffer with depression and how it, it, is, it is so hard to watch someone go back into that winter season and then come back out and know that they'll leave you to go back to that darkness again. But um, I think the tagline I I had was, oh, Persephone, you'll stay a while and then you'll leave. Just one more drink of gin. 
to love you is my sin. Because, you know, um, being able to communicate with this girl and like, just go out and have a drink or whatever and have fun. It was beautiful. And I don't know. Yeah. So Persephone is beautiful. Um, It's about, you know, loving someone with depression, which when I was in the church, it would have been more of, oh, well, you're depressed. You need to be more faithful. You need to, if you just read your scriptures and if you just, but, you know, understanding now just the the layers of life and loving someone with depression. There's another one um, about loving. It's called real. And it's about loving someone that might not be your, you know, uh, like not my spouse or not any in that type of monogamous love, but like you still, love is still real. There are so many layers of love for how you can love a person. And, um, and then there's stuff about like friendship loss and love loss and then gaining of love and relationships and all this beautiful thing these beautiful things that again represent what you'll find when you jump off the ship you find things that are real it's not fake anymore you you get to experience life at its fullest and so and all of this is supposed to symbolize irene kind of swimming to shore and so the last two tracks are very important because when it gets to nightmares the second to last track nightmares represents her sitting on the shore and you can almost see her there's like goals in the background and there's the sound of the waves and like she's sitting on the shore and looking back across the water and you can almost see the ship in the distance and you see this entire journey of what you've swam across in this life that you've found and it's been so hard at times and like sometimes you do think maybe you'll drown but you won't but you make it back and there's all these emotions and the song is called nightmares um, because I used to have nightmares all the time. I would have nightmares about Honduras uh, fights and yelling with my father or um, my mother, Um, but a, a lot of nightmares about Honduras. And I would wake up in the middle of the night screaming. I just, I, I couldn't sleep. And there came a time a couple years later, I was with my husband and a different friend and we were talking about it. And I said, hold on, I haven't had a nightmare. I, I've been sleeping. Like I just realized that I had stopped having these nightmares. And I sat down that night with a pen and I wrote this song, Nightmares. And it's beautiful. It, it acknowledges that you have these nightmares from your past and but I guess so the bridge says and this road that I'm taking yeah it might just be my making or maybe I'll just fall and crash and burn so give me a scarlet label I'll face myself at my own table because I'm the one that has to live with me and that's kind of this realization for Irene that yes she came from this place but now you get to make your own road and, and you really get to you know, find who you truly are. And then that leads into the last song on the album, which is called Reap What I Sow. Oh, that's um, the one that got me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that, that song was not even supposed to be on the album. Oh, really? You're good. Okay. Yeah. Um, no, I was supposed to do a cover 
Um, my favorite oh. artist, Brandy Carlisle. Yes. I yes. can definitely see some influences of that in your music. Okay. All right. Yeah. And I, she, her song, Whatever You Do, was the a song that I listened to. You'll have to listen to it after this. Everyone, go listen to Whatever You Do by Brandy Carlisle. When I heard that song, it was the song that gave me permission to start writing my own music. It's what made me say, I can tell my own story and I can do this. Um, the tagline is, I love you, whatever you do, but I have a life to live too. And that's how I felt about my family, right? Like, I love you, whatever you do, keep being Mormon, whatever, just, but I have a life that I have to live. And that life just cannot coexist in the plane that you're on. And it just gave me permission to kind of move into my own space and be my own self. So that song, whatever you do, I was going to cover it. And that was just going to be the last song on the album. And I was in the kitchen the night before with um, my husband and these two, uh, two guys who were, who play on the album. They're so talented. All the violin, harmonica, guitar, drums that you hear. I, I do play, I play acoustic and I am playing on that last song, Reap What You Sow. But, uh, Anyways, the musicians, we were all in the kitchen, and it was it had been a long night in the studio. We recorded this whole album in four days. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, it was just kind of a, the studio was open. They were able to come down from Minnesota. We were like, let's just do it. I had had COVID, and, and so I still had, like, COVID voice, and my voice wasn't very good. Like, there are still, like, you'll hear little blips in, in the tracks where, like, my voice might kind of break, and that's, like, my COVID voice. <laughs> <laughs> um so, and I'm like very much recovered now. It's been like four or five months and my voice is completely back, but the album is, you know, it's you my know what I like the, the rasp and there's a, is that what you're talking about? There's a little bit of a rasp in your voice and I love Well, I always have rasp, but okay. there's like a couple of, and they might be on songs that you didn't get, but there's a couple of times where like, there's just, there were some notes that I don't know what was wrong with my voice. Like, I can't wait for studies to come out on what COVID does to your vocal cords because yeah. I would hit, I would go to like hit notes that piece of cake. I could hit them all day long before, but after COVID it was like, I had to struggle <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So, but so whatever you do was supposed to be this last song. And I was in the kitchen with all these musicians and it was the night before our last day in the studio. And I said, okay, boys, I'm going to play this song so that you can listen to it and understand how it's supposed to sound. So when we go to record it tomorrow, you know what to play. So I played it. And I went into the kitchen to go get, I think we're eating spaghetti. And I was like going to spoon up sp some spaghetti. And I looked back and I saw everybody at the table laughing and telling jokes and talking about this, the studio that day and this song, whatever you do was playing. And I broke down in tears. It was the happiest out-of-body experience for me to look like I'll get emotional now like to look and see like I did do it I jumped off the old ship Zion and I left and I now live in this beautiful home of this life that I've made for myself you know I work in aerospace I'm recording at this album I mean it's a dream right I'm living my dreams and I just couldn't believe that I had really done this. And so I, I was crying and I had to go up and like, I went and took a shower to try and stop myself from crying. And I 
shouldn't stop crying. And so I went and shut myself in a room. And everyone was like, are you okay? Are you okay? I was like, I just need to be alone right now. <laughs> I'm happy. I know I'm crying, but I'm happy. <laughs> and I sat down and I wrote the song Reap What You Sow in about half an hour. And it was midnight. Everybody was already sleeping. I went to bed. I woke up the next morning and I said, I wrote a song. This is going to be the last song on the album. And we went to the studio that day and we cut Reap What You Sow. Oh. Or sorry, Reap, yeah. What I saw. So, and to anyone listening to that, especially Mormons, uh, it is the most beautiful thing to recognize where you came from and recognize that, yes, you will reap what you sow. You know, the church will tell you oh, well, you left and now you won't have the spirit and this and like, you'll you'll get what's coming to you, kind of. Well, yes, you will get what's coming to you, but it won't be what the church says. Um, it will be, yeah, incredible. So. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You're, yeah, you're living your dream. You're, um, that's all. And just going like kind of reminds me of like your how you were talking about how like you know it would have been because I think about that often like what would I because there's points in my life where I would have I you know I'm I don't know if you listen but like uh I'm I'm gay and I you know mm-hmm. I left the church and everything but like I just I could have easily you know married a woman and had that life you know and mm-hmm. I would would have been depressed would have been you know just been wouldn't have been fair to the woman wouldn't have been fair to me you know all that situation but like <clears throat> and so yeah you do like yes i made the decision to leave but it was and at the time it was seemed like such a like a catastrophic experience of like oh but like and that thought of like the fear of like what is what now like and that's you know what it eventually joined the navy and everything but like um so i still had that structure but then um like finding yourself and like that is what you sow like you find yourself you find you get to live free and authentically so yeah and i love that you're you're doing so many like it sounds like you're doing just so many things like aerospace like what the fuck <laughs> like, I'm just like, oh yeah right that's kind of like the outlier like it's like oh like, musician and all this stuff and export like, wait what aerospace? like yeah um, um yeah it, so um can i i i can always edit this out if you don't want to talk about it but the um what do you do with aerospace like what do you Oh, you can, you can, yeah, leave it then. I, so, um, I'm still finishing my mechanical engineering degree, but I, I, my goal was aerospace, right? Um, so I've been working as an engineering associate, like when I graduate, I'll have the full title of engineer, but so we work with actuators. So like anything from uh, something that will like change the flap like on the wings you see whenever you're taking off or uh, rocket fins on missiles or uh, we have like a NASA project that we just bid for and uh, lots of stuff and also stuff I'm not supposed to talk about but um, yeah it's it's really cool um, and I it I'm the only woman engineer there at this time so 
it's also just kind of a, a I don't know, like I, I go to my job and I just have this fire under my ass of like, I will be here and like, I will just prove myself that I'm smart enough. I belong here because everything in my life told me that I, I didn't belong here. I wasn't even going to get a degree. I was only at BYU to just find someone that I was supposed to kind of marry. You know, my yeah. patriarchal blessing talked about how I was like going to marry someone high up in the church. So I thought I was going to BYU to like just find some, you know, future apostle or something. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so I, I wasn't even going to get a degree. I'll be the first person in my family to have a degree. Uh, and for that to just, you know, just blow it out of the water, like go big or go home, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I guess. Um, so, yeah, and that's fun. And I'll probably continue doing that because I, I like it. And I think it's just that's part of Irene's power, right? You have to walk the walk. You can't just talk the talk. So mm-hmm. for Irene, you know, saying to little girls, you can A, find your own identity, but also B, like, you can be all the things that you never thought you could be. Dream big. Be a rock star. Be a rocket scientist. You know, do, do whatever you want to do. Like, the sky is the fucking limit. <laughs> and now, like, uh, that just makes me think of um, the new SCOTUS, the new uh, Supreme Court. Oh, Supreme Ketanji, Court. Yes. Ketanji yep. Brown Jackson. Right. Johnson. Oh, Jackson. yes. So beautiful. Yeah. Love, love like, her. The idea that you can, a black woman can now be in Supreme Court, and it's, uh, yep. just, I don't know, giving so much hope to black girls and women Absolutely. everywhere, and even just women in general, that, like to be in that position. That, I had. A couple a couple shows ago, I was at a show and I was taking a break and this little girl came up to me. She's probably like maybe nine or ten. And uh, and to put in reference, like I was saying, I was nine or ten when I was first told that I would have to be in a polygamous relationship whenever I was oh, you wow. know, in their life. Like I was quite young. And so th- at that same age, like this little girl came up to me and she asked me for my autograph. And I was like, oh, like, of course. And I signed her a piece of paper and she was so happy. And I went and I, I was talking to her mom during my break. And her mom said, yeah, she came up to me. She said, my child is very reserved, right? But she said, she came up to me and she said, mom, I know what I want to do when I grow up now. Like, you know. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, oh, it's so beautiful. And so I, I, um, she came up and requested a song and I had her sing shallow with me, like Lady Gaga. Oh um, yeah. Cause I feel everyone knows that song. I was like, do you know the song shallow? And she's like, yes. So <laughs> I, I gave her a different microphone and I had her come up on stage and sing with me. And, but it's moments like that, you know, where this little girl knows nothing about, you know, my past or anything. And she just loved the music and, you know, wants to be a rock star when she grows up. But, uh, for any little girl that says, well, but like I want to work with robots or I want to do this or that. Like there's a, there's just, there's a place for you or like very proudly bisexual or any. Yeah. It's just, it's amazing. The, Oh, I'll tag, I'll tag that one line in the chorus of reap what I sow. I don't believe in saints. I don't believe in sinners. It's not black and white in life. It's like gray in the winter. And it is just this spectrum of you can, it's not black and white, be who you're going to be and, and explore and change. And it's just, it's wonderful. 
Love it. Yeah. Um, one thing we have not touched on is the so your just the entropy <laughs> thing. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> Thank so you. you that and then <laughs> yeah. Um, so we're talking about rocket science, aerospace stuff, right? So, and most people don't get this when they first listen. They're like, Irene's en- entropy. Okay, entropy. <laughs> what is that? Um, so that's the second law of thermodynamics. And you learn that term when you're studying in engineering. Um, and basically, to put it in simple terms, entropy is like a measurement of the disorder of energy. And so, like, if you have a system that's doing work, or imagine like a car or something, and there's heat coming out of the exhaust, well, that's now energy that's not being worked anymore, right? It leaves the system. And, but that energy keeps expanding. And, there's lots of like mathematical stuff you could go into about it, but the point is that entropy is this beautiful expansion of disorder. And for me, Irene was this expansion, right? Irene started, and I, I love to say she was born in a cult, in oils and water, being anointed and told who she was going to be. She was going to be obedient. She was going to be a servant to patriarchy. But she expanded and she grew and she became this symbol of empowerment for women. And I just think that the most beautiful way to describe it is through entropy. And that's what this music is. It is literally the expansion of my mind as I write down this disordered chaos of all these things that happened to me. And it just comes out as this force. And the beautiful thing about music is that it it keeps expanding, right? You'll listen to it. Maybe you'll share it with some of your ex-Mormon friends. And it keeps going and it just expands. And therefore, Irene's experience and the moment that Irene was born in the temple has now expanded and reached the minds of countless people. And that is why it's Irene's entropy. And yeah so So i love it and again people usually don't get what entropy means but to me it's it's the perfect name for it yeah it really is and i when you explained it on your in your email i was like it all makes sense that's beautiful i love it so i knew i had heard the word before but i wasn't sure like what it meant or whatever so um if a thermodynamics professor heard me talking about it he'd probably be like oh she like missed so many points on what (laughs) it's supposed to be more of like a symbolism of what it, you know, what it truly means for me and my music. Awesome. Yeah. Well, is there anything else you wanted to, um, wanted to talk about with the, like, uh, Oh, let's see. So your album is, we'll just reiterate this. Your album is released on April 12th. Mm-hmm. Day, uh, your freedom day and it will be available it will be on itunes and like everywhere so it, will be it won't be on mm-hmm. spotify or apple music um there will be copies of the album that you can buy and i'll have the music on my website on april 12th but after that 
Um, it will be on Spotify, Apple Music, any streaming uh, service. Uh, CDs, if you want to go to my website, irenesentropy.com. Or, uh, yeah, follow on Instagram. You can order a CD or a vinyl eventually. So okay. I would, yeah, love support. But mostly I would just love for you to hear the music so that you can perhaps be inspired to empower yourself and and reach your goals and your dreams. I love it. That's beautiful. Um, I'm definitely a fan and um, I'm definitely going to um i feel like i've found my musical soulmate here <laughs> i love it because <laughs> uh just in the short like i did only this i'm gonna re-listen to your the ones the tracks you did send to me and i'm gonna probably cry again but it it'll be fine and then um i'll just <laughs> it'll be fine. and then uh yeah i'll yeah i was like just listening in the first little listen that i had i was like this is incredible like that's the like i've said before your voice is just very it pierces through with everything like it just there's i listeners just listen to it <laughs> thank you so, um, i i appreciate that and thank you so much you've been so wonderful you you always you get me back on track when i go off <laughs> i'm talking about something and i feel like we've woven together pieces of my story that i haven't been able to talk about when I'm up performing on stage, like no one wants a long story or version of, you know, how you got out of the cult. They're just like, oh my God, she was in a cult. And then they, you know, people find that interesting. But we've touched on parts of my story that I haven't thought about in, a, in quite a while. So thank you so much. You've been so wonderful. And, and I'm a fan of oh, you and your awesome. podcast. Thank you. Um, well, I'll definitely have you back on whenever you want to. Maybe every, before every Freedom Day or we can a new album drops whatever we can be, be back on so yeah. <laughs> all right well thank you i never know how to end this so i don't know if you want to say goodbye or <laughs> yeah well um hope to see you again <laughs>